The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. It's time to get fired up. Fired Up is a show that delivers both business impact and social importance. Get ready to explore the connection between communications and human motivation. Our guests will share ideas on how to create higher returns on your communication investments by engaging the people who matter most. Our host, Gordon Rudo, CEO of Bonfire Communications, has bridged the communications gap from startups and nonprofits to the Fortune 500, from political leaders to celebrity CEOs. Get ready to be fired up with your master communicator, Gordon Rudo. So good morning, everybody, and welcome back to Fired Up. This is Gordon Rudo, and I am once again your host on this little exploration of ours. Uh, I believe we're in about week 14 of the season, and uh, so we're about three months in. And i got to say, it's been a, a super interesting three months in business services. And uh, the guest that I have on joins me in running another consulting firm uh, similar to ours, um, very closely related in the space that we serve and, and serving the Fortune 500. Um, I could tell you it's been a, a fascinating last year, but certainly over the last three months. And we're going to hear from David on, on what his point of view is. Uh, on the time that we're in and what we need to do. So we're going to really focus the show today uh, in a very particular area. And as you know, listening to the show, um, we explore how do we achieve uh, business and organizational goals together? How do we do that in a way that helps organizations and the people who work in and for organizations uh, meet their potential as well? And we're going to look at this issue today um, from the perspective of group learning. How do we process together? How do we gain new knowledge together? How do we grow and adapt together? And one of the, the great thinkers in this area uh, is my friend and, and mentor, uh, David Sibbett. And if you've been watching this or listening to the show for the last several months, you know, uh, or you probably have a guess, that I bring some of my favorite people on the show. And that's kind of the gig here, is sharing with you who I found to be, in my journey, some of the most uh, important thinkers, the most interesting people who, who I've been inspired by, um, but most importantly, who I think has uh, a really compelling or timely point of view on this topic. And David, he's the, uh, the president of Grove Consultants International. Uh, in our little field, um, he's also referred as the father or, or maybe even the grandfather of the subfield of graphic recording and graphic facilitation, the, the whole technology of group graphics. And when I started in this field, that was about marker on paper. It still is in some areas, um, but as you'll learn from David, it's also these days about um, Wacom tablets and touchscreens and video conferencing and online facilitation through uh, WebEx-type tools or Second Life and all, all kinds of cool stuff. Um, so we're going to have the opportunity to learn from a, a brilliant artist and consultant, uh, David Sibbett. So I'll just start and welcome you. Um, so thanks for joining us, David. Oh, you're welcome, Gordon. It's a privilege. Uh, you mind if we just jump right in? I'd love it. So, um, so we talked a couple weeks ago, and uh, and you had a particular phrase that I was 
uh, going through my notes the other day and really wanting to spend some time on. And you talked about how do we adapt the challenge, and as you phrased it, of drastically shrinking resources. And, and as owners of, of consulting business, we, we have to do that. We have to serve our clients in doing that. And I wanted to hear, you know, how, how are you helping your clients or what are some of the best ways that you see your clients adapting to drastically shrinking resources? And how do you, how do you help or counsel them during a time like this? Well, it certainly has been an amazing six months. You said the last three months have been pretty interesting. I think starting in about October with the meltdown, um, there's been the equivalent of a business tsunami that's just uh, affected everyone. Um, we, of course, in the Bay Area went through, San Francisco Bay Area went through a similar thing with the dot-com uh, crash in the early part of the aughts, but that wasn't a global and um, systemic and cross-sector kind of shockwave like this current one is. And the interesting uh, part of your question, Gordon, is is the assumptions we make about what resources mean. Um, the obvious thing is that people have less money, less material, and less staff, and that's just true everywhere. I mean, even, even um, our strongest clients all have the yellow flags out and are, you know, being cautious about expenditures and they're, they're focusing things where they need to and making sure they have cash flow. Um, we've taken a tack at the Grove Consultants International, unfortunately started um, quite a number of years ago, in pairing our consulting with the tools and training business. And my passion really, it's very interesting that you chose this topic today of how, how groups learn, because getting people to learn and do it themselves has been a main part of the way the Grove has approached its work since the beginning. And what this crisis has done uh, has just totally focused us on how much we care about that, about giving people tools where they can do it themselves. But uh, the question that would be fun to explore here is what do we actually mean by resources? Because sometimes when you strip away the money and the easy uh, application of technologies and things like that, you're backed up into the fundamental human resource that many of the people on your show talked about, which is our person and what we carry and what we bring and how inventive and innovative we are. So resources in the way that you're describing it now, why don't you widen our perspective? If we, if we talked about resources, financial resources, or people resources, um, you're expanding it to kind of collective intelligence. Tell me more about how you want to frame this for the rest of our 30 yes. minutes here. Well, um, when you when you say shrinking resources, most people would assume that that means budgets. But down deep in people is a story that they tell themselves, and I think people, when they get to be adults, polish the story about what they can really handle and what they can't handle. And so part of that's based on past experiences and other things. Well, collective groups do the same thing. What can they handle? What can't they handle? Now, I just came from a client yesterday where um, it has been a, a fantastic turnaround in an organization that supports film arts in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, the San Francisco Film Society. And it's been known for years for its film festival, International Film Festival, it's about 50 years old. And they brought in, in 2005, a just uh, visionary leader 
uh, in Graham Leggett, who is uh, a poet with words and a visionary with his ideas about organization and very disciplined in the way he goes about doing things. And his vision was to have this organization be as uh, be toe-to-toe with the opera and the ballet and the other major cultural institutions in town. And it's amazing what they've done since 2005. And you'd think in a time of shrinking resources that they would be, you know, tightened up and upset about this. But they've actually been experiencing one of their best years. They had one of their most successful festivals this year uh, in May. And he believes that the real uh, situation that they're facing, the challenge they're facing now, is how the next level of leadership in the organization can rise up. And his whole orientation is teaching his staff how to take over what he has started. And so we spent two entire days where that was the theme. And well, they're looking, they weren't looking to the money as the principal reason. I mean, they will need money to grow, of course. But the, the real resource that they think is important is people's story about their capacity. And he just sees tremendous capacity in this group that he's working with and all of their constituents. And as a result, they're seeing it. It's, it's what Donna was talking about. If you come from wonder, it evokes wonder. So I, I'd love to spend more time on the blessings behind uh, this downturn, this recession, and I think you're starting to lead into this, you know, how we're discovering new capacities that we have. We're taking time to, to grow ourselves, to grow our people. So we need to take a short break. But when we come back with David, we're going to talk about the blessings of the recession and how organizations are actually taking uh, this opportunity to, to reflect and grow. Um, so a short break, and we'll be right back with David Zippet. Stay tuned. Fired Up on WebmasterRadio.fm will return after this short break. This is a test of the PR Web content and news delivery system from PR Web and PRWebAuthor.com. If this was a real release date, your story would reach more than 30,000 journalists, 250,000 RSS subscribers, and just over 30,000 unique websites. PR Web can reach your target audience online, drive traffic to your website, achieve high rankings on search engines, and get your content on top news sites like Yahoo News. Editors are available 24-7 to help you optimize your content for maximum exposure to over 70 million people in the U.S. alone. If this were a real PR web release date, your website would have so much traffic, you'd be tempted to duck and cover. If you have an online marketing emergency, go to prwebauthor.com for 25% off. PR Web, the premier online news release and content distribution service. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. RevenueWire.com and its member merchant, LavaSoft, makers of the world-renowned Adaware, present the LavaSoft Affiliate Contest. The LavaSoft Affiliate Contest goes from May 15th through August 15th. Make great commission and win up to $64,000 in cash prizes. Look for all the details on the LavaSoft Affiliate Contest by logging on to RevenueWire.com and look for the LavaSoft logo on the homepage. Win big with LavaSoft and RevenueWire.com. 
join marketing to women expert Maria Retan as she chats with those in the know so your business can grow. Purse Strings, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the advertising channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. You're getting fired up only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudo. We're back with David Civit. We're talking about how the San Francisco Film Society, uh, his client, was looking at this downturn and, and taking the opportunity to grow the next level of leadership and, and um, find new levels of capacity. So this is a, an example you're seeing here. You're seeing it elsewhere as well. And, and what are some of the, the best practices that you are observing of the opportunities here? Yes, I think... Um one of the things I'm seeing in, in the larger clients, of course, is that, um, and I'm, I'm a pretty avid gardener, and I've, I've felt for a long time being an OD consultant that a very effective way to look at organizations is to not see them as big machines, but see them as big um, agricultural projects. Uh, that, you know, their gardens or farms or whatever. And, and most organizations, big organizations, um, have a real organic feel and actually are collections of many smaller types of organizations, some of which actually do run like machines, hopefully, some of your more infrastructural organizations. But the the capacity of a large organization to flourish, and if you're a gardener, you know that a, that a tree actually benefits from pruning. So if you're just looking at it from the standpoint of the organization itself, this downturn has been a chance to kind of really face up to a large number of dysfunctional practices, dysfunctional processes, um, other kinds of things. And many, many organizations, um, you know, like one of our clients is Nike, um, and they're a very successful organization. My son works for them. Um, they have a worldwide reach. They really heard the lessons from their consumers about the environmental message, and they've just got a huge amount of effort now, you know, moving more in a green direction. There's just all kinds of positive things about that company, but of course they're being affected, And but they're using it as a chance to kind of really reorganize and repurpose things. Now, in the midst of that, if you're one of the individuals in an organization that's going through contraction and rethinking and everything, it is rough. I mean, it, it's, um, it's scary. You think you're going to lose your job. And the, the thing that's interesting about humans is that um, we're not all wired up the same way. Some people will contract and, and go into fear, and that's just deadly in a time like this. But other people uh, will go into facing the challenge and being energized by the, by the threat in some ways. Now, I know uh, for our company, uh, it has been extremely stimulating to start thinking totally seriously about how people can do it themselves. You know, how people can actually do strategic planning by themselves, for instance. And we, as you know, have migrated from drawing on the wall ourselves to providing uh, planning templates for people. And people look at it and they say, well, I can't draw. Well, these templates, you don't have to draw. You basically use them like a flip chart. And so we're now realizing, uh, as a result of uh, the fact people don't have big budgets to bring us in and show them, that we have to show them. So it's pushing us into video. It's pushing us into uh, using tablets in a very innovative way. And the new media, to show people ourselves, not necessarily having to be there physically, 
how they can do things themselves. Well, I think a lot of companies are moving in that direction, too. They're saying, look, we can't travel anymore. So we're so going to talk about how they do it teams themselves. to work virtually. But if people just work in a power push PowerPoint on a WebEx thing uh, virtually, eventually the, the life leaches out of the team. And so people who realize that, the ones who are saying yes to the opportunity and not going into fear, are actually now in a period of heightened creativity, I think, around how you can use these new to really use these new tools to bring emotional uh, connection back in, engagement back in, purposefulness back in, some of the things that are harder to deal with when you're at a distance. So, so David, talk to us about some of these tools. How, how do organizations do that, uh, the strategic planning or the, the learning and group alignment stuff themselves? What are, what are you seeing and what are you applying as some of the best group process stuff, whether it's facilitation, uh, concepts, methodologies, whether that's a, a new tool that you like uh, quite a bit right now? How do we learn faster and align each other more effectively during this time? What, what's the good mm-hmm. stuff out there? Well, there's a... There's a big spectrum of responses, of course. Um, on, on one extreme, you have companies like Hewlett-Packard, which uh, has gone through an enormous sea change from you know, being kind of the gold standard of, of corporate community building and um, you know, the HP way and all that kind of a thing, to being a really lean and focused and much more uh, technocratically oriented organization in terms of um, you know, watching the metrics and the numbers and everything. And they just said, no travel. I mean, not you just have to work virtually. And so they're getting alignment through uh, focused business discipline and uh, people doing their jobs and getting on the phone. And I had one consultant that's a very close friend uh, just absolutely say, you, you can form deep friendships online. She's got friendships all over the world with people she's never met. And I think part of it there, now, if you are in an environment that really has to work completely uh, virtually or largely virtually, one thing is to invest in the infrastructure that really allows for intimacy um, as well as communicating, you know, the stuff you need to do to do business. Well, one is the phone, like what we're doing right now. Um, you're in one place, I'm in another place, uh, the producer's in another place, and I've got a headset on. Well, if if you have good audio, it turns out audio is the, is the bottom line requirement for really good distance conversation. And part of it is that humans are very, very keyed to the emotional quality in the voice. And you can even make a case that the telephone is in some ways even more intimate than being in a meeting because you you hear that voice quality. You can hear people are very sensitive to whether people are being authentic or not um, through tone of voice. So that's one thing is investment in audio. Another is um, on the other uh, side for for companies that are working virtually is the whole growth now of telepresence. Um, I think you, I don't know whether you've seen, uh, HP has a halo room and Cisco has their telepresence rooms. Um, And these new video systems make it seem like you're right there across the table. Now, these are very, very expensive, but in the um, everyday available range, uh, I don't know what the numbers are on Skype. But the number of people that I know who are now Skyping as part of business and using the built-in video that's in most uh, your portable computers now is, is really increasing. Yeah, probably the, the most fun experience I had recently was a mid-sized company, Otis Spunkmeyer's a, a 
company that makes fresh baked cookies. And they've been doing really, really well in this time, primarily because one of their big clients is uh, Subway. And Subway is a value player, and it has been just doing terrifically with the $5 footlongs and things like that. And so Otis uh, Spunkmeyer makes about a, a third of Subway's bread, and it's a very good client. So they're, they're growing and investing. And uh, we are working with them on uh, a, a huge implementation of SAP, uh, which will make them able to deal with data in a worldwide way. And they're part of a group that's out of Ireland uh, on the Swiss stock exchange called Arista. And Arista has six or seven companies that are all in the fresh baked good business, and they want Otis to be the, the vanguard of figuring out how to do this interconnection stuff. So we have a team. If you've ever gone through, if you've got, if you've ever gone through one of these big, uh, I'm sure you have big technology I, reworks. Yeah, I've been through the SAP implementations and yeah. the ERP and CRM, and it, it's very hairy. Not much yeah. different than the downturn kind of complexity. Exactly, and so they've got all their uh, the process experts and a core team and all that kind of thing. Well, as people know, and you you know, I'm sure that the biggest challenge in any implementation of a technological platform and it, uh, is behavior change. It's getting people to adopt and use the new tools. Many of these new tools are fantastic, but if you don't take the time to learn them, of course, they don't perform for you. This is as simple as if you try to change your PDA uh, or, or a new phone or something. It takes, it takes quite a bit of time to retrain yourself. Well, if you have a whole organization, it really takes time. So how do, how do groups get alignment? Um, one of the areas that we've really found working is to deal with the central story of why people are doing this from a values and benefits standpoint so that people don't get lost in the technology of what they're doing, you know, all the, all the little things that have to be done. I mean, you could spend your whole time communicating transactionally. But somewhere above the noise of all that needs to be a powerful story about why all this pain is worth it and where you're going with it. So we got all the core process people together and are designing a map to their uh, project. And this map is a visual graphic that any of the leaders of the company will be able to stand in front of and tell the story in a powerful way. And I know you've done quite a bit of this yourselves. But we had a problem because three of the core people weren't going to be able to be in the room. And they weren't going to be flying in for this meeting where we were doing the first draft design. But they had invested in a new uh, video conference system. And I was really happy to see that the camera on top of this thing was so good that the guy who was steering it could literally point at the wall where I was working, and the people in the remote area could read it. And so I was able to run the meeting in the way that we know works with very large panoramic displays and listening to everybody, recording everything, having everybody feel good about being heard. It gets very, very creative. Um, and the three people who were online were there on a big television screen, and they'd raise their hands and speak up, and the guy would zoom the camera in on what they wanted to look at, and um, we had a fantastic uh, meeting. And it so I think like if we're starting to start these hybrid uh, modalities. Yeah, it seems like it's really just starting 
to turn a corner hasn't quite yet. Cisco's got a pretty amazing system, but it costs several hundred thousand dollars yeah. to really install at that level. But I think you're pointing to some some key points. Audio being really key. Um, mm-hmm. If you're going to do telepresence, having that visual capability of really tuning in and having that HD quality, so it. It's blurring the yes. mind's ability to think that, you know, am I on video or actually having an experience? But you also mentioned this idea of, of having that central story, and no matter what the technology is, to making sure that we're still getting above the noise of the complexity of the technology and touching into people's emotion. I mean, you used a couple exactly. of words that I think are pretty provocative here on a question about process and technology, words like intimacy, authenticity, and emotional quality. Um, so we're going to need to take a short break, but I'm going to come back to those qualities and talk about you know, how do we still keep the intimacy of the conversations in, in a remote world with, with reducing resources um, and increased complexity. So we're going to come right back with David Sibbett and spend more time on this topic. Stay tuned. Fired Up on WebmasterRadio.fm will return after this short break. Hey, have you got the number for Jerry's Pizza? Look it up on LocalPages.com. LocalPages.com? Well, what if I wanted a business number in Miami? LocalPages.com. Can people find your business online? Be seen with LocalPages.com on every local listing in all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, MSN, and Ask. With over 6 billion quality searches a month and bids starting as low as one cent, get connected with local consumers at the exact moment that they're looking for you. San Francisco, Green Bay, London. I told you. LocalPages.com. List your business on LocalPages.com now and get $100 in free local advertising. LocalPages.com, bringing your neighborhood to you. Have a good weekend, Andy. See you, Andy. Hey, Jim, why are all the coders leaving so early? Doesn't your department have a deadline of, like, midnight or something? Me and my staff are here all night. I saved money on my staffing budget by outsourcing a lot of work to Offshoring.com. I told them I needed a coder, and they sent me profiles fast. My staff just filled in the little details, and now we're having margarita night. Offshoring.com. Fast, inexpensive, excellent, and on time. Offshoring.com. XY7 affiliate market. Are you an affiliate? If yes, you'll pay me. No if, ands, or maybes. Get paid daily. Make a mad dash. Sign up is a flash. Quickly convert the clicks into cash. Affiliate marketing network is first place. I cut to the chase. It's all performance based. Listen to what I'm telling you. Cause this is what you better do. Join as a publisher and maximize your revenue. Think we agreed that money is what you need. Indeed, you can get paid from sales and leads. Not one thing lacking. Don't get it cracking. Even comes with state of the art tracking. Ready to start? You can do it a couple ways. 866XY7Pays. It's toll free. Tell me what you're waiting on. So log on to XY7.com. Life tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the entertainment channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. You're getting fired up, only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudo. So we're back with David Sibbett, and we're talking about how do we keep the authenticity, the intimacy, the, the emotional quality, how do we keep real connections with our people as we're dealing like HP is with no travel policies and not having to, the luxury of being face-to-face when we're trying to um, help our organizations get through tough times. So, um, David, why don't you kick into that again, but also talk about, as we described in the beginning of this, 
how do we learn together? So if these are going to be the modalities, the different technologies and methods that we use, um, you know, what is learning actually look like um, in the room or through these technologies? And, and as a visual learning expert, um, what do we have in the near future that's going to assist us um, with visual learning and, and emotional learning, connected learning inside of technologies or face-to-face? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's really interesting you went in this direction, Gordon, because um, prior to becoming an organizational consultant, I spent uh, seven years leading one of the pioneering experience-based learning organizations uh, for, for public affairs, the Coro Center for Civic Affairs in San Francisco. And they were so dedicated to learning that uh, those of us on the staff were absolutely prevented from ever lecturing or ever providing answers. And part of the theory base was coming from general semantics, which is a, a not well-known uh, set of ideas, but has actually been absorbed in communications theory. And, and one of the ideas is that human beings are not just rational people. And now this is a well-established idea. We're, we're emotional people. We're spiritual people. We're thinking, thoughtful people. And we also are very physical people. And this spirit, soul, mind, and body uh, wholeness of people is something that the cognitive scientists and health people and everybody are coming back around to understanding. So when you say what what actually supports learning, um, what we found in the Coro experience of seven years is that when you throw people into a challenge situation and don't give them uh, all the instructions about how to come out, but still make it very clear they have to come out with something, that people go into a different mode, and it's a mode of learning because they have to. I, I know one of the most radical folks who was a mentor of mine, Jim Shannon, actually at one point helicoptered a group of insurance people into the back uh, backwaters of Australia and landed them in a place that had didgeridoo music coming out of giant sound systems like you were in a movie, but you were actually in the desert. And behind this one hill, there was an entire tent city set up, and the people were plopped there and no staff, nobody orienting them, nothing. There they are, by themselves in the middle of Australia, and the helicopter takes off. And then they see some dust in the distance, and up rides a horse, and the guy throws down a challenge in front of them and rides off. And it's basically the beginning of a two- or three-day adventure experience where no one knows what's coming next. Now, it's all been set up to be safe, and it's all set up to not kill them uh, or anything. But the psyche doesn't know that, and it goes into a learning mode. Well, in a much less threatening way, uh, what I've found is that there are many kinds of ways of running group process that are not about uh, triggering the school response, what I think of as the school response, which is you're supposed to have answers. You know, the only time you speak up is really to look sharp, look smart. Um, Now, good professors will take their students into inquiry, but you can take uh, management teams into inquiry uh, through the, the... Posing, for instance, you were mentioning visuals of a visual puzzle, like put up a a template that is a landscape that shows forces coming in from the left and the right and a big cloud that is labeled uncertainty and something that's labeled economic climate. And you ask four or five groups to all paint a picture of their current environment and only give them an hour to do it. Now, that seems a little bit, you know, how could you possibly do that? And what it throws people into, much like this driving into the desert, 
it throws people into their right brain, holistic, intuitive thinking. And they don't lose the analytical ability. They're still writing down content on these charts. And then, say, four or five groups will come back, and they all have a context map. Suddenly you've got a gallery of five different group takes on this big question of what is our environment right now. And then you ask people to go look for themes. That's another. You're throwing them back into the, into the puzzle area. They come back and they express themes. And then you begin having dialogue. You get them in a circle and they begin talking to each other. Well, each one of these moves is designed to give people a chance to just struggle with meaning and their connection with it without a lot of um, over-guidance. What happens is that people go into a learning mode. They have to depend on each other. So there's, there's a huge number of these things happening. For instance, simulation in leadership education now is really getting big uh, for that very reason. Uh, dialogue circles, which are you know, taking people and not having any media whatsoever and asking people to speak only when the spirit moves them. And this is a very ancient way of meeting. Uh, Native Americans have done it for years, Quakers, all kinds of people. But this kind of dialogue circle where you don't know if you're going to speak, it's not coming around in an orderly way, but then people start speaking, and then out of, out of some kind of mystery emerges a sense of the group. Um, you begin working out of not knowing rather than knowing, and suddenly the world starts looking more like it looks to an artist or a designer. And I think, I think it's uh, interesting, Gordon, that those of us who've grown up in facilitation in the West Coast, actually, I think there's a West Coast school uh, for this work. And it's heavily influenced by designers and architects and engineers and people who make up stuff. Part of it is because the West was kind of a place where people could create. They didn't have the constraints of um, all the traditions of Europe or the East Coast so much. And so coming from a designerly place, people ask the question, you know, well, what's possible? And so if you give people media to express what's possible, um, that part of ourselves that learns begins to wake up. And so, well, I think there's a huge amount of people being scared and contracting and shutting down on their learning because of the severity of the problem right now. And it's, it's quite possible that other shoes could drop and it could get really, really horrible. There's a, also a huge number of people who are just uh, putting out all kinds of new growth and new ideas. And so I think if you're working with a group and provide a container where that can express itself, where, where people aren't over-channeled and can play and fool around and prototype and experiment, uh, then the group goes into a learning mode. It's interesting, you know, when you talk about all of these different modalities and, and you reference Donna Markova, one of our earlier guests, that she has this model based on the Ned Herman four-quadrant brain and the thinking talents that are um, kind of derived from the Gallup work, but what she describes as kind of visual learners, auditory, kinesthetic learners, and we used to believe that you're either one of the three, and in her understanding you, you are all three, and the question is, you know, how do you take an information uh, in your first level? How do you channel or kind of process that information? And then how do you expand upon or innovate that information? And those three different slots um, exactly. are, are auditory, visual, visual, or kinesthetic. And now what you're describing with all these modalities, 
you're kind of hitting all of them. So if you're a visual learner in your primary yeah. spot or your auditory in your primary, by creating this multi-dimensional learning environment, you're really allowing the large majority of people to take in information in a way that's most intuitive. Yeah, so for instance, yesterday, uh, I think you're precisely right with this, um, we did a visioning with the, with the Film Society group, and we each gave them all a template that we asked them to uh, make up a movie about themselves five years in the future. Now, the actual activity has a big three-by-six-foot template on the wall. You give people some markers. Somebody has to volunteer to get up and scribe. Well, who gets up and scribes? I mean, it tends to be somebody who feels comfortable with working with their hands. And then they talk, and so everybody's getting a chance to be audio. And then they're seeing things written down, and then that's visual. And then when they bring it back, you ask people to tell a story about it. And, uh, you know, the only real rule for working this way is when in doubt, make it up. And I kind of tease people this way, and they laugh. And I invite them into the space that the improv actor lives in. Uh, But it's definitely purposefully hitting at at audiovisual kinesthetic and not trying to, I mean, and not unintentionally biasing into just one. Yeah. Now, we're running out of time, but if you can, I'm going to ask you to wrap this up and wrap it up in a way that doesn't just cover the last 28 minutes or so, but really covers your last 28 years, 30 years or so. So I'm going to kind of frame this for your close. You know, as we started this conversation, we talked about the blessings uh, and challenges of the downturn, and, and you may have input that helps people think about this time or how to think or contextualize as a leader, as an HR manager, or HR leader, or as a professional communicator or OD practitioner, how to think or contextualize this time. Or we moved into, you know, what technologies or methodologies to facilitate and guide learning in this time. Uh, or as we're closing, what are kind of the learning modalities in a, in a kind of group space, uh, meeting space, and how we think together and learn together. So maybe you want to close with some takeaway points on any of these things or anywhere from your 30 years. The net net, <laughs> David Sibbett's perspective, how to get through this time. What are, the, what are the couple things that you want to leave our listeners with that they can practically start thinking about or doing uh, after listening to the show? Well, I think, I think the core of, of my hope and work is is that people come to understand that people and their capabilities are the fundamental resource. That while we, we totally need all these other things, that we have a vastly overbuilt idea of how much material goods we need to feel good or feel satisfied. And um, in a time of constraint, it, the opportunity here is to wake up to ourselves. And so I said that, you know, people are individuals. That's kind of a... a an idea that's been supported in the Western world, I actually have come to believe that individuals are embedded in social uh, networks and meshes that are absolutely part of the, of the human condition. And that where I said the individuals have a spirit, soul, mind, and body, groups have spirit and a soul and a mind and, and a body uh, as as a collective entity. So my takeaways would be that at the level of, of spirit and attention and intention, that uh, the invitation right now is to wake up, not go to sleep, not go to fear, but go to what Donna called, uh, isn't that interesting, you know, this sense of openness. And a practice there is to just look for who has the lights on. Just notice whose eyes have light, who has light, who's carrying the light in a group. And like a gardener, nurture them. Uh, 
at the level of our soul, our feeling body, it's very easy when you're afraid to shut down, and it's easy for an organizational group to contract. And what has to happen here is people have to exercise their feelings. They have to actually get in touch with their feelings. They have to move. And so for an individual, it would be, um, you know, if you're constricted and everything, go dancing. Uh, get some body work. Go out and kayak or exercise. If it's a group, get the group to move. Get them to stand up, move around, draw on the wall. Um, if it's in a, a web conference, treat it like radio. Have people do polls, stamp on things, interact if you can. Get a platform that allows people to collectively draw and experience. And you begin seeing that when people move, energy begins to move through them. I say for our minds, uh, the message that's threaded through a lot of your interviews, Gordon, is don't get hypnotized by the facts and the data, but look at the context and the frames. I think studying the media itself as a message and the framing that people have. Um, right now I'm watching businesses try to run by PowerPoint, and I just it just hurts my heart to see people think that that's really thinking. Um, it's not. Uh, people close down when people are have information pushed at them. Where they open up is when you build a frame that has some clearness in the middle and invite in their their meaning. And so leaders can do a lot around framing and structuring arenas where people can aggregate their information in interesting ways, much like, uh, you know, people are having fun with Google doing all kinds of map mashups. You can do the same kind of techniques, not just on geodata, but on conceptual data, different models of how the organization is, how they're going to make money. Uh, you can prototype these things and play with them and use visual language like a designer. And I would say, bottom line, for the body, um, we are in survival at the physical plane when our bodies are not healthy, when our organizations don't have money and don't have cash flow. Um, Maslow's made this point. Many, many people have made this point. Our attention goes to the fundamentals. And the way through a crisis is not to ignore operations and not to ignore uh, the body, but to really start taking care of it and studying it and learning its rules. And I think if there's a blessing here in this global meltdown, is it's really focusing us on the infrastructure needs that we have. Um, I know company after company now are really examining, you know, what are the most important processes that, that make the whole thing work, and let's get them right. Let's not just get off on the other things until we get the basics right. For, for an individual, if you're not eating well, if you're, you know, substituting stimulants and tons of caffeine and everything for actually having emotions and feelings, if you're uh, constantly, uh, you know, trying to relax by drinking rather than actually being relaxed. Uh, there's a lot of ways that you can kind of abuse your body, which then affects the whole stack. I mean, it affects how you think, it affects how you feel, it affects the quality of light that you can handle. So my takeaway would be um, if you're finding yourself uh, getting panicked and everything and not knowing what you're doing, celebrate it and just reach for that. Uh, Donna Markova thing, you know, isn't this interesting that I'm so damn scared? <laughs> and then start saying, uh, can I actually tell what part of my body is actually tightening up versus others? And you can do the same thing with a group. You can start saying, who's got the lights on and who doesn't? And why? How can I possibly get the lights to sparkle in their eyes? Or how could I get this person who's just sitting there and not saying, how could I get them to move around a little bit? You know, or, oh, 
point, we're just going down the same old intellectual rut here, just pounding away on that old business model that we've been doing. I wonder how we could get people to kind of do something a little different. Maybe a field trip. Maybe maybe we have them get online and talk to somebody in another country about how they're doing it or whatever. So that would be my takeaway, is treat this as a chance to get back to wholeness and reframe resources as being what people can do together and not just dependent on external agents and lots of money. Thank you, David. I mean, who is carrying the light right now? How do you find those people with the light? How do you find the light within your, yourself? How do you take care of yourself during this time? Focusing on the fundamentals both personally and as your business and set the right frame, the right context. And I also want to remind people of something that you said earlier um, when you referred to the general semantics model of, of not getting the school response. What are we doing structurally that we are still getting the school response? How are we creating an environment that is not getting people to to, to learn and to grow and to stretch themselves. And I think after listening to this show, um, you'll see a lot of things that you can do. So, so we're, we're out of time, but uh, I want to remind all of our guests to hit us up on uh, twitter.com forward slash fired up radio. Um, David can be seen and heard on davidsibbit.com and grove.com. And I hope you have experienced what I have experienced with David for, for 15 years of knowing him. Um, and I'll just say uh, point blank, there, there are people in the field, and I've, I've had the opportunity to work with gurus and thought leaders and, and great authors and consultants. But there's, there's a handful of people, um, and I can say this, you probably can't say this about yourself, David, but I can say um, there's a handful of people that, that I consider to be the real deal, um, who walk the talk, who um, you know are doing... Uh, is doing the inner work that it takes to express themselves in the outer work. And, and David is one of those special people, so I'm real happy um, that we're still in touch and that we're doing this work together. And, and thank you for joining us today. I, I hope and I want to urge my listeners to, to find your stuff online, to connect with what you're doing, and, uh, and to learn more about what thegrove.com, um, what you see on that site and what The Grove offers. So I think it's fantastic stuff that is helping uh, companies learn and adapt and grow and, and do it themselves during a time where they need to. Um, so thank you, David. Thank you, Webmaster Radio. And, and thank you to our listeners once again. Uh, checking out Fired Up, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>